This message was presented at the GYC 2012 conference in Seattle, Washington. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Okay, this morning our workshop is called What I Feel and What God Says. What I Feel and What God Says. Yesterday, our workshop was called, anyone remember? The, prerequ- the prerequisite. And we looked at a couple of things, uh, Josephine, in the workshop, a couple of things on the prerequisite to knowing God's will. Can any of you remember some of those? Yeah? A purity of heart. So there has to be a, a purity in our hearts or our desires to want to know what God's will is. And there, key. And then be willing to follow it when it's revealed. There's no point in us saying, Lord, reveal me your will, if when he reveals it to us, we're not going to do it. It's all, do you think God would waste his words on us? I don't think so. I think God pleads with us and maybe he try and he woos us. It's not like he tells us just one time, that's my will for you and if you don't listen to me, I'm done with you. We know he does chase us as a, a, like a parent who loves us, but at the same time, we have to have obedience, purity of heart, and a desire to do what God shows. If there's not that desire to do what God shows, and I don't think God is going to just reveal to us all this great light if he knows we're not going to follow it anyway. You know, there is a uh, passage of scripture. I think it's my next slide. It is. If you turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 20, and this kind of goes along with just uh, reinforcing what we looked at yesterday, Ezekiel chapter 20, and I'm going to read a few verses there. Ezekiel chapter 20. Now, Ezekiel was written around the time when Daniel, was kind of a contemporary of Daniel, and was Israel uh, behaving themselves at this time in their history, yes or no? You could say they were being pretty bad, or they were being rebellious. So Israel's not really listening to God. God wants to talk to Israel, but notice in Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 3, notice what it says here. It says, Son of man, speak unto the elders of Israel and say unto them, Thus says the Lord God, Are you come to inquire of me? Question. Answer, he answers himself, as I live, says the Lord, I will not be inquired of you. Stop there. Doesn't that seem strange? God here has asked the question, are you come to inquire of me? Then he answers his own question and says, as long as I live, I am not going to be inquired of you. How many of you, of you, if God said that to you, you would be just a little bit disturbed? Right? You're praying to the Lord and he says to you, you're asking me a question? Mm-mm. As long as I live, I'm not talking to you. You'd be like, whoa. Those weren't the kind of personal devotions Wes was talking about this morning. That's a little bit disturbing. But as you read on in the chapter, we're not, uh, I'm not going to jump to verse 12 for eight. Let's read on a few of the verses after that. And you kind of got to get a gist of the passage. He opens and says, are you come to inquire of me? As I live, I will not be inquired of you. What's the issue here in Ezekiel chapter 20? 
wrote, uh, reading down, it says, thus says the Lord in verse 5. He's kind of recounting history. He says, in the day when I chose Israel, I lifted up my hand to them, the end of the verse, saying, I am the Lord your God. Verse 6, in the day I lifted up my hand unto them to bring them forth the land of Egypt into the land I aspired for them flowing with milk and honey. He's kind of recounting his history, verse 7, at the end of it, saying, I am the Lord your God. Verse 8, there's the key word there, it is but. They did what? They rebelled against me and they would not hearken or hear me. Neither did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said, I will pour out my fury on them to accomplish my anger. Verse 9, it says, they polluted my name among the heathen. Verse 10, wherefore I caused them to go forth from the land of Egypt into the wilderness. Verse 11, I gave them my statutes and my judgments. Verse 12, he says, moreover, I gave them my what? Sabbath to be a sign between me and them. Verse 13, but the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness, walked not in my statutes and despised my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them, and my Sabbath they, shall, they polluted. Do you get an idea of the picture now? So verse 3, he says, have you come to inquire of me? As I live, I won't be inquired of you. That seems harsh, but when you read through the context, he says, listen, I brought you out the land of Egypt. I gave you statutes, I gave you judgments, I gave you the law. And he says, you despise my law, you despise my judgments. You trampled on the Sabbath, which if you read in Ezekiel chapter 8, they started to worship the sun in the sanctuary. He says, you did all these things and now you want to receive a new word from me. What is God saying here? He's saying, follow me in as much as I have already showed you, and then I may give you a new revelation. Some of us are disobedient in our lives and wanting God to reveal something to us about something else. And God says, listen, I'm still working on you here. Don't jump to level B or A until you figured out level C. And sometimes in our life decisions, we want to jump forward ahead of God. And God may be keeping us at a certain place in order to teach us things about our character before he may give us insight as to the next step in life. I mean, one of the big decisions that we seek God's will for at this age in life, 15 to 35, well, that's a big age range, but you know what I mean? Education, where shall I go and study, or what should I study? Life partner. I mean, that's a big one, right? Job, what job should I do, or where should I go? Ministry calling. These are the big decisions that we kind of ponder in our mind. But it may be that, for example, in life partner, you're asking, Lord, I want a partner. Where is my partner? And the Lord is saying to you, listen, I'm still trying to work your character out here before I would entrust you with someone else to be close to. And then sometimes we get frustrated with God. God, why aren't you giving me that, what I'm praying for? I pray for five years for it. You're like, listen, still working here. You're missing what I'm trying to teach you. And so Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 3 and, and verse 12, 
I believe is a, the issue was the Sabbath. God will stop speaking to Israel. And if we're ignoring God, don't expect him to give us new light. Notice this quotation here. It's from Second Selected Messages, page 93, paragraph 3. It says, when persons yield their will in sub- perfect submission to the will of God, the Spirit is what? Humble and, even more important, it is what? Teachable. The Lord will correct them by His Holy Spirit and lead them into safer paths. So what does it we have to do? We have to yield our will in what kind of submission? Partial? Perfect submission. What does that mean, perfect submission? It means a complete willingness to do whatever it is that may be revealed to me when I submit my will. And sometimes that's the biggest challenge. We don't want to submit our will because we're scared sometimes of what will be the outcome or what God is going to show us when we do. Notice here, second selected message is quite a few quotations. It says, There are some who do not even now view matters in the right light, but these may learn to see eye to eye with their co-workers and may avoid making serious mistakes by earnestly seeking the Lord at this time and by submitting their will wholly to the will of God. How many of you want to avoid making serious mistakes in life? Amen? You know they say experience is learning by your mistakes and wisdom is learning by the mistakes of others. Where you can listen to even your parents or senior people in your church and find out from them what their life's experiences were. And you soon realize that though the issues may change and the the pressures in particular may change, uh, the, the, the real core issues of life are the same generation after generation. And we can avoid making some of these serious mistakes. One important thing that I want to emphasize in this presentation about what I feel and what God says is the importance of knowing our own character and inclinations and then what it can do in help, is help us guard against making, or sorry, thinking that our natural inclination is God as opposed to what you do naturally. You understand what I'm saying here? How many of you, I mean this is very general, are people that you, a person, you are a person that struggle with your feelings driving you in most of your decisions? See? Okay. How many of you would say you're more rational people? Logical. If it A equals B, then C and D. Duh, 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 duh. And your life is very methodical. Right? Can you relate to what I'm saying? I am more of a logical, rational person as opposed to someone driven always by my feelings on making decisions. Let me give you one example. Like when I was in college, I was a Cole Porter leader as I was a student. And so I would be there in school, and I knew I was going to be leading a Cole Porter program that summer. And so what I would do throughout the, the school year was recruit, I'm sorry, I'm in your way, was recruit students from the college that I'm in. 
And so I'd go to them in the, in the cafeteria, you know, what are you doing this summer? Do you want to come on the call Porter program? And there was like kind of almost two types of students. There'd be the ones that in September or October, okay, where's the program? It's in West Virginia. What are the dates? Bang, bang. Okay, I'll be there. Done. Sign them up. And for the next eight months, nothing would budge them. I'm going to West Virginia, June, July, and August. Counting down. Then what are the other students that would be like, do you want to come? I don't know. Still praying. And I don't doubt they were praying. But they'd be praying in September, and October, and November, and December, and January, and February, and March, and April, and May, praying, 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 praying. Maybe this is you. And then come three days before the program. When they've said, I might come, I think I might come, but I'm still praying. What would then happen is three days before the program, someone else would come and talk to them and say, oh, we really need someone to come on a, a mission trip to know, Mongolia. Would you come? Oh, the Lord has spoken. <laughs> now I know that I am supposed to go on this mission trip. And they would interpret that as that is now God's will for them to go there because it was like last minute and you hear these dramatic stories. I didn't know what to do and last minute the Lord spoke. Whereas me with my rational mind sits there thinking, uh-uh. I make up my mind before and any requests that come after that is merely a temptation to divert from the course of action that God wants me to do. You see how I see it completely different? I would see that as, nah, that's just a last-minute distraction to God's will. Whereas someone else would look at it and say, no, that's God's will revealed last minute in answer to my prayers. Now, I'm not going to debate whether it's right or wrong. What I'm simply saying is when we know our natural character and inclination, you can sometimes see. Now, naturally, I'm the type of person that will do that. I'll plan. I'll know my whole year's calendar for next year pretty much in advance. And I can outline which weekends or weeks I'm free. I know that. That's just how I work. Whereas some people aren't like that. I remember there was one uh, story where I was um, in college and I was looking for an internship as a, like a, you know, an intern pastor. And what happened is this. I, I, um, I wanted to go and work with Doug Batchelor. I was like 20 years old. I was like, I want to go work with Doug Batchelor. And my teacher's in school, you ever met the guy? No. Do you know anyone that knows him? No. But I want to go work with him. And I'm the type of person that when a door needs to be opened, I'll beat it and beat it and beat it until you get so fed up of me, you'll eventually open it. You know? So I call up Amazing Vex. I'd like to speak to Doug Batchelor, please. They don't put me through. They put me through his secretary. So I talked to his secretary. Told the whole situation. Can I have his email, please? Oh, sure. It's dbatchelor at amazingfacts.org. like, okay. That's the secretary's email that screens everything. So I get that email, I start emailing the secretary. You know it's the secretary, it's not really him. So I'm emailing, emailing, emailing. Then I call, did he get the email? Then I call. And I always be calling on a weekly basis. And every time I get through to the secretary, which is his mother-in-law, by the way. <laughs> and so I'm calling, I'm calling, I'm calling. And by this time, we're on like, first, oh yeah, you're that guy from last week. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to talk to Doug. And then eventually, eventually, I managed to get his like, personal email address. And then I wrote him again and again and then called and called and called. And I must have badgered that office for like three months. 
And eventually I got the green light. If you really want to come and intern as an intern pastor at Sacramento Central, then you can come. But we ain't paying you. And for me, like, that's the way I think. That's like, wow, I've opened the door. But the reason why I tell the story is this, is because maybe just a few weeks before that, I was strongly impressed that that wasn't what I should do. That was my natural inclination. So that's the course I pursued. I ended up going to do an internship site with a pastor that none of you have probably ever heard of, in a church where you've probably never heard of it. No, no cameras, no lights, no action, nothing. But as I look back on that experience of my life and think, well, if I had gone to this big famous church, as opposed to the one I went to, in real life ministry experience, it was probably like that. One of them I would have observed and one of them I actually did. And that was a time in my life where I was going against my natural inclinations in order to do something. So your natural inclinations is not always the way God will work with you. Oftentimes it may be. I remember when I was choosing what school to study at. And I, you know, sometimes God doesn't reveal it for me. It was like, well, where do I go? This one or this one. They're both good. You know, it's like choosing between Harvard or Yale. Like, which, I mean, they're top both good, you know. Which one do you go to? So this one or this one? Well, what are the pros of going here? Dang, dang, dang. What are the cons of going here? Dang, dang, dang. What are the pros of this one? Dang, dang, dang. What are the cons of this one? Dang, 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 dang. There was one more con there than there. So I said, well, that's where I'm going. There was no revelation from God to me. I just used my reason and charted it out. And since then, my life has turned out not too bad. I know that God was leading in that decision. Sometimes I think he does maybe go with your natural inclinations, but sometimes he may not. But I want to read this quotation, and this one is one that has uh, been a real blessing to me and, uh, and always stands out in my mind. It's from Acts of the Apostles. As we are reading Acts of the, I mean, theme of Acts on the Apostles, page 279, where it says these words. It says, impressions... Sorry, no. That's the head of the paragraph. It says, the enemy often persuades men to believe it is God who is guiding them. No, actually, that's not the the title of the paragraph. That is the, um, let me read that. Impressions alone are not a safe guide to what? The enemy, who? Enemy often persuades men to believe it is God who is guiding them, when in reality they are following only human impulse. But if we watch carefully and take counsel with the brethren, we shall be given an understanding of God's will, the Lord's will. For the promise is the meek will he guide in judgment. And the, no, yeah. And the meek he will teach his what? The meek he will teach his way. It says impressions alone are not a safe guide to duty. So though only maybe 10 of you put your hands up when I said if you're led more by your feelings than, than maybe not, my guess is there's more of 10 of you in this room that rely on your impressions to make decisions. And we're told that impressions alone, like, why are you doing that? Well, I was impressed by the Lord. And sometimes it's like I have a feeling of peace that just comes over me, came over me when I made that decision. So I knew that was the Lord. Now, I know that the Lord does use our feelings and we have to be careful. 
that we don't just put feelings aside. But she says impressions alone are not a safe guide to duty. Sometimes you see people make decisions and you're just like, where's this decision coming from? I was impressed. I just feel I should do it. And oftentimes in relationships, the area you see it the most. Girl and a guy get together. The whole family has no idea why they're together. All the friends are like, what are you doing? I just feel right in my soul I should do it. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. You ladies get together and have that little discussion when she's not there, like, what is she doing? (laughs) She's lost her mind. Or guys, the same thing, like, that boy, he's just lost his mind. Not thinking straight anymore. Because it seems like it's a, a decision that's been made just on impressions with nothing rational behind it. Like, why is she with that guy? He's got no job. Can't support himself. Can't do this. He's living in cloud 99 somewhere, dreaming about these things he's going to do. He's going to invent this and invent that. But she believes in him all the way. And it just seems like it's a decision based purely on impressions. We are told impressions alone are not a safe guide to what? Duty. Notice here. Notice here. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. It says, the heart is desperately wicked above what? All things. And the question is, who can know it? That's why I believe Alan White says in the the paragraph previous, impressions alone are not a safe guide to duty. Why? Because our heart is desperately wicked. If we're just relying on the passionate heart, it is not going to be a clear enough guide in order to make the decision that we want to make. Some of us are relying on impressions in the big decisions, as I've said, relationships and school or things like that. And it's scary when we do. Um, Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to our next text. We've got a couple of texts. They are on the screen, but if you have a Bible, it's good to turn to. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 26. Proverbs 28 and verse 26 just want to turn to a few texts as to what the Bible, I believe, says about some of these issues that we may be struggling with. What does the Bible say? In Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? In Proverbs 20, chapter 28 and verse 26, it says, He that trusts in his own heart is a what? Fool. But whoso walks wisely, he shall be delivered. The heart is wicked. Don't trust in your own heart. This whole workshop, we're not going to give all the answers in this one. What I'm looking at here is what I feel and what God says. The next workshop, we're going to be looking at clear biblical principles upon which we do really base our decision and how God does lead us. Proverbs 12 verse 15. The way of a what? is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkens unto counsel is wise. And this brings up, we're going to probably discuss this later on, one of the ways of knowing God's will is by looking at the counsel from those around you. 
that you don't just drive forward with your own idea all the time, but it is confirmed sometimes in the mouth of other witnesses as well. Proverbs 14, verse 12 to 13. You know this text well, I'm sure. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Even in laughter, the heart is sorrowful, and the end of that mirth is heaviness. Psalm 119, verse 105, it says, Thy word is a what? Lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. God's word is the one that should guide us more than our deceitful heart, more than our own impressions, but God's word should be the basis upon which we make our decisions. Now, God's word is not always going to tell you, well, you should study at this school instead of this school. It lays down the, the, the foundation principles, and then sometimes you have to exercise your mind beyond that and then make a decision. Notice 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. It says, For prophecy came not in old time by the what? Will of man. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And this one is powerful because it says the Bible didn't come by the will of man. But it was holy men who spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now some of these verses here, we've drawn some small mini principles already. One of them said... Those that seek counsel are wise. This one says, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So there's an element of the Holy Spirit in guiding our correct decisions as well. And we know that the Word of God is a, a key decider in our, in our decisions also. Proverbs 29 verse 11. A fool utters all his mind, but a wise man keeps it till afterwards. I want to encourage some of you, all of you, I guess. When you haven't made your mind up, it's good to counsel with a few people, yeah. But try not to be one of those people that you really haven't made up your mind, but you're telling everyone you have made up your mind. So today, what are you doing? What are you going to do for the next six months? Oh, I'm going to go study here. Definitely, that's my calling. Next week, no, I'm going, to go, I'm going to go to this school now, and I'm going to study this. Are you sure? Yep, definitely, that's the Lord's calling on my life. Two days later, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to the mission field now. That's God's calling on my life. Three, no, 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 I'm not going to the mission field. I'm staying at home because I believe in the home environment. I'm going to get a job here. I'm going to minister in my home church. That's the calling. And then three days later, no, 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 it's not that. I have to witness to my family. That's what I'm going to do for the next six months. You know what I'm talking about. Mind changing all the time. And it's almost as if, instead of relying on the Bible, or instead of relying on what God is telling you, you're throwing your ideas out there to the general public in this, uh, in like a scattergun approach, and it's almost like you're waiting to hear back words of affirmation from different people, and whichever idea more people tell you is a good idea, that you go with. Which is a dangerous approach in some ways. Because what the brethren think you should do is not always what you should do. It's good to keep your mind until afterwards, until you really know what God has told you to do. Not always just telling the whole world all of your ideas and all of your plans ahead of time.
There's a couple of quotations from the Spirit of Prophecy I want to bring to your mind. Um, well, we've done this one already, so I won't do that one again. There was a quotation um, that I read in Second Selected Messages. It's quite a disturbing one. Um, the paragraph title is called Man-Made Test Led to Know God's Will Led to Wife Swapping. Stuff was happening in the church. You think it's only now there's been trouble in the church? It says, whenever I've been called to meet fanaticism in its varied forms, I have received clear, positive, and definite instruction to lift my voice against its influence. With some, the evil has revealed itself in the form of man-made tests for ascertaining the wi- a knowledge of the will of God. As was brought out yesterday in our workshop, Knowing the will of God is not always a clear formula. Bang, 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 bang. And maybe that's what some of you would like to leave this workshop with. A little, you know, index card. This is how you know God's will. Stick it on your mirror. Stick it on the fridge. Put it on the bathroom door. I know what God's will is now, you know? But really, yesterday we looked at the prerequisite was what? Purity of heart, humility, and obedience to follow what God shows you when he does. But all too often we like to get a clear, man-made, almost formula and then follow that. Because we are a prescription-driven generation, so to speak. We like the preacher or the teacher to prescribe to us exactly what to do. And then we will do that. Man-made test, she says, where is it? Man-made test. Uh, with the sum, the evil has revealed itself in the form of man-made tests for ascertaining the knowledge of the will of God. And I was shown that this was a delusion which became an infatuation and that it was contrary to the will of the Lord. If we follow such methods, we shall be found aiding the whose plans? Enemies' plans. In times past, certain among the believers had great faith in the setting of signs by which to decide their duty. Some had confidence in these signs that men went even as far as to exchange wives, thus bringing adultery into the church. Sometimes we set signs that are man-made. There's a story I, I, I was told, and you may have heard it if you've listened to Audioverse. Um, I know it's on there. I'm not going to claim it as original. Where there was a girl who told a pastor... that a sign that the Lord was going to reveal who she should marry was when the man showed up on her doorstep with a big bunch of flowers. And then she asked the pastor to please go and tell the guy that she liked that that was her sign. Man-made test. This is my sign, Lord, if a man shows up on a doorstep with a bouquet of flowers, that's the one I want you to, uh, I'm going to marry. But please go and tell the man I like, he'll go and do that. You know, I was, um, as a friend of mine, she was doing Bible work in a city in America, and there was a guy who liked her. And he prayed to the Lord that if she showed up on Sabbath with a blue dress on, 
that that would mean she was the one for him. And guess what? She showed up on Sabbath with a blue dress. But guess what? They didn't get married. Amen. Because <laughs> she didn't believe that sign. I mean, you've probably got four dresses in the, in the wardrobe. There's a 25% chance you're going to wear a blue one. I mean, that's not God's will. The problem with some of these, um, these man-made tests is that they can be relatively easy to be fulfilled. You can almost stack the deck in your favor. You know? Notice here, second, third selected message, page 404. There will be counterfeit messages coming from persons in all directions. One after another will arise, appearing to be inspired when they have not the inspiration of heaven, but are under the deception of the enemy. All who receive their messages will be led astray. Then let us walk carefully and not open wide the door of the enemy to enter through impressions, dreams, and visions. God, help us to look by faith to Jesus and be guided by the words he has spoken. Okay? I think there's another part to it. No? No. Oh, yeah. There we are. He says, let us walk carefully, not open the door the wide to the enemy to enter through impressions, dreams, and visions. Notice here, not always a special vision. Third selected message, page 53. I write this for I dare not withhold it, she says. When she writes that, you know it's pretty important. It's kind of like when she says at the beginning of the paragraph, the Lord has shown me. Well, he showed her everything, but when she writes that, I think it's even more particular. I write this for I dare not withhold it. You are far from doing the will of God, far from Jesus, far from heaven. It is no marvel to me that God has not blessed your labors. You may say God has not given Sister White a vision in my case. Why then does she write as she does? Here you got people saying, oh, well, the, uh, Ellen White hasn't written me a letter personally to me. You know she wrote personal letters. How many of you would have been scared to live in the prophet's day? Imagine getting a letter through your letterbox from Elmshaven, you know, Angwin, California, and you opened it, dear brother A. Ah! You know? That'd be enough to scare the living daylights out of you, you know? The Lord has shown me. Like, whoa. No wonder the brethren didn't like her, you know? Getting a letter to the general conference, dear elder, the Lord has shown me that in your home, like, whoa. I mean, we read that today like it's nothing. But imagine if you were the one getting those letters. Here you got people who are saying, well, I didn't get a letter from the prophet. So that must mean I'm okay to do whatever I'm doing. She's saying, look, not everyone, I get a special vision for you. Don't think you're so important. Likewise, also, not everything, all, every decision we make you can always find someone that she may have had a vision about that thing. That's why the Bible deals often in broad strokes of principles. The people of God can come, second selected message 325, the people of God can come to a correct understanding of their duty only through what? Sincere prayer and earnest seeking for the what? Sanctification of the Holy Spirit. What does the sanctification mean? We're not doing a worship on righteousness by faith, but it's essentially, for sanctification is what? 
It is the daily living in your life, the Holy Spirit, day by day. So as you're seeking for the Spirit to lead you on a daily basis, throughout your whole life, and as you are praying earnestly and sincerely, as it says, when they seek a right for instruction concerning their course of action, these strange and unreliable methods will not be acceptable to them. Girl showing up in church with a blue dress. Man standing there with flowers. A special letter to come in my letterbox. If they say hi to me in church today, I know that's the one. If I get a prospectus, do you use the word prospectus here? No? Let me educate you. (laughs) I don't even know what you call it over here. You know at university, their whole... You call it brochure, like... No, not a syllabus. It's like the, the thing that tells you, like, that, you know, that we have this course and this course and this course and this course. Catalog. That's what you get in a store. <laughs> a course catalog. I don't like that word. When you get a prospectus, sounds more intelligent, I think. In the post, you're like, Lord, if they send me a prospectus, from Yale, then it's your will for me to go there. It's a bit dodgy, you know what I mean? All these different types of ways, it says, then they will be saved from haphazard work and from the confusion that is ever the result of depending on human devising. Okay? So she brings out three things here. Sincere prayer, earnest seeking of the sanctification of the Spirit. It's interesting because it doesn't just say earnest seeking for the Spirit to guide me in the decision, but it's broader than the earnest seeking for the sanctification of the Spirit in my life. Because it may be you really think God's will is for you to go here, and it could be completely opposite. But it's only when you're humble and teachable and earnestly seeking that that you can be open to that. Notice this quotation here, this one. Now, this one's very interesting. I'll just go back a slide so I can preempt it. And this brings out one of these ways that maybe some of you have even found out God's will for your life or made decisions. Notice here. To our people, I will say, let none be led from the sound, sensible principles that God has laid down for the guidance of his people and to depend for direction on any such device as the tossing of a coin. How many of you have ever done that? Some of you? Yeah. What shall I do? Flip a coin. Heads, tails. You have heads and tails on this? No. Heads and tails. Such a course is well-pleasing to the enemy of souls. Why? For he, control, he works to control the coin. Wow. And through his agency works out his plans. Let none be so easily deceived as to place confidence in any such tests. Let none belittle their experience by resorting to cheap devices for direction in important matters connected to God's will. Don't resort to such cheap things, she says. Let me just flip a coin. Shall I go to GYC or not? Ding! You would never flip a coin, shall I read my Bible or not? 
So why, after you open your Bible, would you then flip a coin? Or like, what shall I read this morning for devotion? Hmm. <laughs> Isaiah 63. You know? I'm not saying that the enemy would guide your finger in the page. I'm just saying it's a bit of a frivolous way to approach important things. But she does say that the enemy works to control the coin. What side it lands on. Now, it may not be a coin you're flipping, but it may be some other uh, cheap devices for direction that you may be choosing. And all too often, it's almost natural for us to do that. And I, I mean, this, I'll be honest with you, I only read this quotation about three weeks ago for the first time as I was preparing for this seminar. And it kind of shocked me. I was like, wow, that's pretty heavy. You know? That he would even try and work to control the coin. I would think, well, you know, let's be careful in how we are seeking God's will for our lives. Some of you may say, but what about Gideon? Didn't Gideon put a fleece out? Gideon put a fleece out. But you know something about Gideon's fleece? I've never preached a sermon, but I think I'd like to. We always say Gideon was a great man of faith. I would suggest you Gideon wasn't really a great man of faith. Because the Lord came to him by an angel and said, go and do this. He said, "Eh, I don't know. Give me a sign. The angel said, okay, I'll stay for dinner. Put some food on the rock. Boom, it blows up. I mean, surely that's a big enough sign that God is with you. I don't know about that, Lord. I know you just sent an angel to talk to me. I know you just burned and blew the food and the dinner up. But I want something more than that. Okay. Put a fleece out. I'll make it wet. So he puts a fleece out. It's wet. I don't know, Lord. That's easy. Anyone can do that. I want the grass to be wet and the fleece to be dry. Okay. Grass is wet. Fleece is dry. I mean, I mean, it's a debate we could have. Was Gideon cautious or did he have a lack of faith? I don't know. But when you look at all that God showed him, to me, it kind of is like, wow, you know, an angel comes and talks to you, food blows up, and you still want another sign. And when you get the other sign, you're like, well, that's pretty good, but can you reverse it? I mean, what was he waiting for? Like pigs to fly, you know? And then he's like, okay, I'll go and fight for you. I would suggest to you that the men that fought with Gideon were the men of faith. Because they're following a leader into battle that, you know, barely believes in his own mother, it seems. But notice, notice what the difference with Gideon is this. You may say, well, Gideon had the fleece and all that kind of stuff, fine. And we can argue caution or faith. But the point is this. All of these signs was only to confirm what God had clearly told him already. And the signs were only there because of his caution or lack of faith. The problem with us is sometimes God hasn't told us clearly what to do. We haven't studied clearly what we should do. And then we're relying on the fleece to to show to us what it is. With Gideon, the fleece only confirmed what God had told him. It wasn't God's primary way of telling him. And that's a key point. That's the key point. I think the difference with Gideon there, it wasn't the key way or the method that God was going to show to him. There's just one, one example from the book of Acts as we are on an Acts conference. Turn to Acts chapter 10. We have here a, uh, an illustration of Peter. Acts chapter 10. 
I'm just going to read this one passage, and then I think we, well, we'll see how we go. Acts chapter 10. Do you know what happened in Acts chapter 10, anyone? Peter's vision, what's his vision about? His vision is about unclean animals. It's not about unclean foods. Well, maybe you could say unclean foods, yes. So he sees a sheet coming down from heaven, and there's all these unclean animals on it. And he says there in verse 9, rise, Peter. No, not verse 9. Verse 13, rise, Peter, kill and eat. So he sees this sheet, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And verse 15, it says, what God has cleansed, don't call thou common. Now, what does this mean? The Bible says it was done three times in verse 16, and the sheep went back up to heaven. So what does this mean? There's unclean animals, kill and eat. No, I haven't never eaten anything common or unclean. And the, and, the, and the Lord says back to him, what I have cleansed don't call common. Now, all of our, you know, our ecumenical Sunday church friends, they say that this passage says you can eat whatever you want. It has nothing to do with what you eat, this passage. Nothing to do. If you stop right there in verse 16, it would appear that way. But as you read on, you come down to verse 17. What happens there? It says, Peter doubted in himself what this vision meant. So even after this, Peter doesn't know what it means. So why should we come to verse 16 and conclude what it means when Peter didn't even know what it meant? That means we have to read on. Verse 19, the Bible says, he thought about the vision and the Spirit said to him, so on, so on and so forth. So what happens? Verse 28, he he goes into the house and he meets a man called Cornelius. Was Cornelius a Jew, yes or no? He wasn't a Jew. And he comes to verse 28, finally, when Peter says, he, and he said unto them, you know that it is unlawful for a man that is a Jew to keep company with one of another nation. But God has shown me I should not call any man common or unclean. And you come to verse 34 and the Bible says, then Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. So never let anyone tell you that passage is about food. It's about verse 34, respecter of persons. But why do I read this, this story? If Peter was to follow his own natural inclinations, or even his own feelings, would he have witnessed to Cornelius, yes or no? He wouldn't have witnessed to Cornelius. Even though this was after the Great Commission of Matthew 28. He still wouldn't have done. Why? Because he didn't like Gentiles. So the Lord had to come down to him, speak to him directly, and show him his course of action was wrong. Because his natural inclinations, his own feelings, would not have been correct in guiding him in his decision of who to witness to. And after the Lord showed him, Peter was more than happy to go and evangelize to whoever. But you see how even here in the book of Acts, Peter was even so caught up in his own feelings and emotions that God had to jolt him out of it in a very strong way. In a very strong way. We only have a few minutes left, four minutes left or so. What does faith mean? What's the definition of faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. What is our faith based upon? He, no, Romans 10 verse 17, it says, For faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the what? Word of God. 
I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a subject for maybe greater debate or greater discussion than we'll have in the next two or three minutes, but what role, do feel, you know, what role does, in a sense, the feelings play uh, to a greater extent? I believe feelings, God has given us feelings, and feelings are from God, amen? We have joy, we have anger, we have frustration, we have happiness. We have these different types of feelings. But our feelings should not be what is driving our decision. We may have anger, when God reveals his will to us. Is that possible, yes or no? We may have frustration when he reveals his will to us. It's not always that your feelings are happy after God shows his will to you. And it's then when you may have anger or frustration that you need to have the humility to follow. Sometimes you have joy, and sometimes you have happiness. And when you have those feelings, all is fine and steam right ahead. And it's often when we don't have the warm, fuzzy feelings and we have some you know, more negative feelings that there's that struggle within our soul whether we follow our feelings, what we naturally want to do, as opposed to what God has already showed us. And that's why we come back to the prerequisite of obedience and purity of heart. Feelings can motivate us. Or feelings can be a struggle that we fight against after he has shown his will. What I feel, what God says, maybe be driven not by logic, maybe be driven not by reason or by feelings, impressions. Both of them, I believe, are equally dangerous in a sense to God revealing his will to us. But may we have the purity of heart, the humility to follow God as he reveals to us, and then we can enjoy the blessings afterwards. Should we bow our heads as we close for a word of prayer? Father in heaven, Lord, we pause for a moment to thank you. to thank you that we do have feelings and emotions, that we're not just robots here on this earth. And this is what often provides some of the spice to life. I pray, Lord, that we would not be people that resort to cheap devices to know your will, though. That we would not rely solely upon the way we feel when we wake up in the morning or what side of bed we get out of, or whether it's sunny or cloudy today, but that we would truly seek your will in your word and in sincere prayer and earnestly seeking for a changed heart. Bless us, Lord, to this end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.